Don and I just a, uh, just a few months ago celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Isn't that something? And so, yeah, so we've had a great life together so far. And it's wonderful joy just to be here to see all these beautiful faces. And uh, since we were here last year, you obviously you're in this building, a whole new building, and um, which is just wonderful. But you know what? As I'm here today in the service, it's not just the building. Uh, it seems like everything has gone to a whole new level here. You know, I mean, certainly there's more faces. There's a lot of you people that I don't know. And you probably don't know me either. And, uh, and, uh, and besides that, just the whole spirit of things, you know, it's, it's so exciting. You've, you've just gone to a whole new place, a whole new level, uh, which is really neat. Amen? Amen. So it's great to be here. Here's what I want to do before, as I get into the Word. Uh, I want to just kind of address a couple of things. Uh, <clears throat> one is this. You know, you're going to see me hobbling up here somewhat today, I'm a, uh, and it's because I've got some back issues going on, but let me explain something to you about how God works. God does some of his very best work when we are not at our best. I mean, I am very serious about that. I think some of the best messages I ever preached when I was sick as a dog. I'm serious. It's the grace of God come. So my point, why do I even tell you that? I'm just saying Forget about it, all right? Forget about the whole deal. God's uh, going to do something very good. Secondly, I wanted to say this. For years, I pastored life. What first, as you said, was Life Christian Center. We changed it to Life Church. And uh, pastored Life Church for many, many years, uh, 36 years, and, uh, and enjoyed every minute out of it. And through that time, those years, I spent every week hearing a fresh word from God and then studying to bring forth every week a brand new word. And only a pastor knows what that's like. To start on Monday and then go right through the week and you have to come up with a brand new word so throughout the year you can bring people to, a whole, to, to whole Christians. And that's quite a challenge. Uh, I don't have that challenge anymore for the last seven and a half years. But what my challenge is, what I do now, this is pertinent to my message today, is for the last seven and a half years, Donna and I, our mission is to the larger body of Christ, both here and abroad. And what I do now is that I pray and seek God. God gives me a word many times. And then I have the privilege and the time now to take months and months and months and dig into that, into the Word, to be able to see how that thing plays out in Scripture so that ultimately, hopefully, we come out with a word, that, fresh word that God is saying to the church in that hour, all right? So hopefully that's what I bring to you today. Are you all with me now? So that's what I want you to be thinking as we do this. What, this is not everything God's saying, but what is God saying about who are we in this hour? Uh, what does he want us to do? And where are we headed? All right? So I got that settled. Number three. Y'all don't be so solemn, all right? We're, just, we're, we're taking care of business here. Number three, and this is directly related to the message. When I study the Bible, I love to look for major themes. And what I call threads that run through the entire scripture, that ties everything together. For example, one of those threads, the, the most prominent one, would be, um, would be blood. Blood runs through the whole Bible. Sacrificial blood, substitutionary blood, and ties everything together. Another one would be covenant. How many of you know that? Covenant. You know, the Bible is separated into two books. The, or they're not books, but collections of books, the Old Testament or Old Covenant and the New Testament are New Covenant. And that's important because when you see the Bible through that thread, covenant, then when you see the promises and the commands, you see them as parts of a covenant. So that's a thread. 
And then kingdom is another thread that runs through the Bible. When you see these things, blood, covenant, thread, then after that, when you see them as threads, when you read the scripture and study it, then it's like you use these threads as like a a paradigm uh, or a lens through which to see the scripture. If you get that, say, I got it. All right. All right. So what's happened to me in the last, in this year, is that God just caused a light bulb to come on inside of me, and I saw an, another thread. And I don't want to call it new because it's been there all along. It's just I've not heard anybody address it like this. And the thread I'm talking about today, I have known it as a truth, a biblical truth for years. You have too. Uh, most of you have. We've practiced it in different respects, in prayer and spiritual warfare, but have not seen it as a thread. At least I've not heard myself anybody address it as a thread. And I want to do that today. Why it is important to see something as a thread? It's because when we do, then we highlight that, and it heightens our faith in operating in those things. Are you with me now? So what is that thread today? When I tell you what it is, It's not going to impress you. We're going to have to break it down. But here's what it is. The thread is simply taking new ground. Taking new ground or taking ground. Now listen to this. Listen to this. When you look through the whole Old Testament, you've got to admit it's all about taking ground. And I'll explain later how the New Testament doesn't say it like that, but it's different. It's taking ground new spiritual ground. That's where we're headed. So y'all ready now? All right, here we go. We're going to start where all threads should start. Genesis chapter 1, or actually in or near the beginning. Genesis 1, 26, 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion, full stop. Let them have dominion. Now, when I read this, it astounded me that here we are at the beginning where God, I mean, this is it. God says, I'm going to make man. There's never been this creature before. And so this is, a, this is the moment of all moments. And at that moment, God could have addressed anything that he wanted to, Right? He could have talked here about love. I'm going to make man, and he's going to be a love creature, love people. Or he could have talked about fellowship with God. We are beings made to fellowship with God. He could have talked about holiness, presenting our lives to God as holy. He didn't talk about any of that. Think about it. At this crucial moment, right at the beginning, all he talks about is dominion. Is that interesting or what? That's it? I'm going to make man? And then he says, dominion. I'm going to give him dominion. And when I saw that, it stunned me. But here's the key. For you to get the full impact of that, you have to understand that in the original text or in the Hebrew language, original Hebrew, it did not say, let them have dominion. It says something else. And to really grasp it, you have to go back earlier in this chapter, follow me, to verse 3. In verse 3, there's a similar phrase, and that phrase says this, listen. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Very similar. Except it doesn't say that in the original text. In the original Hebrew that it was written in, here's what it says. It says, and God said, light be, and light was. Wow, that's different. Here's what's happening. When God says, if God would have said, let there be light, That would just be God dispensing of information for you to know. But when God says light be, and light was, God was not dispensing information. He was making a declaration. 
And if you understand anything about the way the Word of God works in Scripture, is that when God makes a declaration, He's not just making a statement. When He's making a declaration, that very Word, whatever it is that's spoken, is releasing the DNA of that Word, the very embodiment of that Word, is released into the thing that it's speaking into. So when God said, light be, this ball of fire comes into existence. And the very DNA of light, of shining, blasts forth and injects inside this ball of fire. And all of a sudden, the sun begins to shine. And the sun begins to shine not because God told it to shine. Don't miss this. God never gave it a command to shine. God never said, son, you better shine. The sun began to shine immediately because that's who it was. God says, you're the sun. And light be your very nature. Your very essence is you are a shining entity. And the sun began to shine out of its very identity to the point that if the sun would ever refuse to shine, it would be violating its very own nature. It would be sinning against its identity. Hallelujah. I like that. I like that because I know where I'm going. Now, let's go back to verse 26. Is anybody ahead of me? Verse 26, listen to this. You go back to 26, and he says, and God says, let them have dominion. What it says there in the Hebrew is, and God said, dominion be. And dominion was. You get it? Dominion be, and dominion was. God was not making a statement of fact over man, like, you're going to have dominion. I'm going to tell you to do it, and you're going to do it in obedience to me. That's not it at all. God, when God says, dominion be, the very nature of dominion, of authority, of a rulership, blasted out of the very inside of God and blasted into man and man became a living being and his very essence, his very nature, his very identity was a dominion creature. And man, and man began to immediately exercise dominion over the garden. First, rulership, management. Dominion, he began to exercise dominion, listen, not because God told him to, don't, li- don't forget this, listen, not because God, God never gave him a command to exercise dominion. You say, why is that important? Look, when I saw that, I immediately went back to the New Testament and I searched through the New Testament to find if where God told us to exercise dominion or authority because all of a sudden something was clicking in my brain and you know what I went to the, through the New Testament and could not find one place where God told us to exercise authority take authority or exercise dominion now I don't know about you but that surprised me because I expected it after all these years me studying the Bible It's amazing how you can assume things are there that aren't there. And I went there and could not find one place. When I went there, here's what I found instead. When you look at Jesus, when Jesus addressed dominion or authority, he always addressed it like this. He said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. There's no command or instruction in that. It's just a statement of fact. It's a statement of you've got it. The authority over the enemy is yours. And because you've already got it, here's how it looks. Nothing shall by any means harm you. 
When Jesus called the 12 apostles, he says, I give you authority and power. For you newcomers, that's tongues, all right? Listen, Listen. I give you authority and power over all the enemy to heal the sick and cast out devils. There's no command in that. Jesus just saying, you've got it, baby. Now go, and here's the way it looks. It heals people and sets them free. I love this one. Listen, oh, Matthew 16, Jesus said, and I will build my church. So here Jesus, for the very first time, is introducing the idea of the church. Never been mentioned before. Just like a creation. First thing, man, first time he's mentioned, boom, dominion. Here's the first time the church is mentioned. And what does Jesus say of all the things he could have said? He could have spoken of evangelism. He could have spoken of serving the poor, all kinds of things. You know what he said? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. What's he saying there? Listen. He's saying, listen. There's no command or instruction in that. What he's saying is, when the church really gets a hold of themselves and stops playing games and being Mickey Mouse, preaching these weak sermons and fooling around, and they rise up and realize who they are and what authority they have, have and really become the church of Jesus Christ. When the church operates according to their true identity, the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. Listen, the problem we're having in our society today is not society's fault. It's the church's fault. When the church becomes the church, hell cannot stop her. Hallelujah. Good preaching, Brother Rick. Thank you. Okay. Neil. Hallelujah. I like that. So, God says, dominion be. And man exercises dominion because that's our identity, our nature. Now, I wanted to spend time on that because I really want you to get that because I do realize that's a new idea for some of you. And I think it really matters. When you see this as, wait a minute, this is my very nature. Because when you understand that, then you understand that when you don't, when you lie down passive, inactive, and don't rise up and take a stand and take authority, you're not just disobeying some instruction or some command, but you're literally violating the way you're made. You're sinning against your own wiring, your own nature, your own corporal makeup. To such a degree that what happens is, is when you live like many people do, let me just say before I say that, when we talk about dominion, we, we spiritual people, we often first think, and rightfully so, but about the spiritual authority you know, in, in dark domains, you know, like over demonic powers, ruling spirits, even against sickness and things like that. And that's all oh so true. But listen, you must not expand this out to much broader when God says we, our, our, our dominion is our nature. That what that means is not just those things. It's talking about rulership, rulership or management, taking charge. See, here's what I want you to see. God has designed us spiritually, uh, emotionally, mentally, and physically. He has designed us to function properly when we don't lie down passively and just let life happen, but when we rise up and take initiative, take the bull by the horns, and do something about the hell that's coming against our life. I mean, be it spirit demons or be it just your finances. When you lie down passively, your life begins to fall apart. That's why 
All of these disses are released in your life. Do you know what I mean by disses? Disses like discouragement and discontent. And uh, you become disheartened. And you get in discord. And you become dysfunctional. Isn't it interesting? All those disses are things that denote a falling apart, a coming unraveled of your life. It could be your mind, emotions, your physical body, whatever. But they, they denote an unraveling. Why? Listen, why do those things unravel you and make you feel like your life's coming apart? You want to know why? It's because this, the prefix this, does not just mean no. This means contrary to or against or out of alignment with. So when you say, I'm discouraged, you're not just saying, I don't have any courage right now. What you're saying is, I am operating contrary to my very own nature. My nature is to always rise up and be courageous. But I am operating against my own design. I'm out of alignment with my identity. Isn't that interesting? And so whenever these things happen, they are symptoms of the fact that we are not operating the way that we are designed. And so folks, whenever you take discouragement, you get all down in the dumps, don't just stay there and get in self-pity and waller in like, oh, you know, woe is me. I'm going to tell you something. You get yourself up. You clean your, slap yourself upside the head a few times and say, come on, get in the thing because there's much more at stake than just your little thing that's going on right now. Your very life is hanging in the balance because it's, the whole issue is who rules over you? Turn to the person next to you and say, come on, that's you he's talking about. Tell him. Now, all right, so dominion. Let's go on. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. So here's the deal. He says over fish, birds, cattle. And now watch what he does after that comma. He, he sums it up. Now I want you to see that. Now he's going to sum it up. What he's done in this dominion B is he has spoken to our identity, our nature, who we are. We are people of dominion. Now, what he's doing here is he's speaking of our sphere of dominion. What do we have dominion over? And he sums it up when he says, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he said, I've given you your dominion. It extends over all the earth. And folks, what is earth? All the earth, what is it? What's it made up of? Earth is ground. All right? Now, when you come out of the creation mandate and move forward to the Old Testament, sometimes it's called ground, but most of the time it's called territory. So it's the same thing, right? All of Israel, God's dealings with Israel, is about taking territory or ground. All right? So anyway, he says, I'm giving you dominion over all the ground and everything that lives in or on the ground. And so we are nature's dominion, and the sphere of our dominion is all the ground, and everything is ground. Can everybody say that with me? Everything is ground. There's nothing that God's created on this earth that's not ground. It's all ground. And we have dominion over all the ground. Now, in the Old Testament, they were taking physical ground. In the New Testament, it's not physical ground. It's spiritual ground. Now, listen. The spiritual ground or the spiritual authority many times is over physical ground. Are you with me now? In other words, I'm going to tell you this. As a pastor for many years and deal with many other pastors, I've, tell you, I've noticed when churches attempt to go and take over land, property, buy buildings, remodel them, whatever. I have not seen the devil fight any harder than taking literally physical territory. So the devil still hasn't gotten over it. Are you with me now? 
but primarily we're talking about spiritual authority over ground. Everything is ground. So in this point, here's what I want you to think. Put your thinking caps on with me. Everything is ground, So, which means you are ground. It starts with you because, listen, think. Didn't God make you out of the dust of the earth? So you're ground. You're part of, what's, of the earth and what lives in the earth. And so it starts with you. Now, don't miss this point. It starts with you. Your dominion is over your own self. And it starts with your body. Your body is ground. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Paul's saying, watch this. He's saying, baby, don't you let your body do whatever it wants to with all of its lusts and affections and desires, you know, and its fickleness. You get your body by the horns and you jerk it up and you say, body, you're not going to do what you want to do. You're going to do what the will of God wants to do. What the, I'm going to present you wholly to God. Do you see what he's doing? That strong language saying, Paul's saying, I realize my body is ground, and I'm going to first exercise my dominion over my own ground. Isn't that good? As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul even gets really strong with dominion language in relation to the body. When he, I love this little phrase. Paul at one point says, I buffet my body. Isn't that good? Buffet. Now, folks, some people read that, misread that as I buffet my body. But he's not saying I buffet my body. He's saying I buffet, which literally means to beat. You get that. He's saying, you see, he's realizing how important it is to take this ground. I beat my body into subjection to the will of God and will not allow it to go down that road of lawlessness and iniquity and laziness and corruption. I find that fascinating. Now, listen to this. Also, listen to this. Your mind, I'm saying the two things, your body and your mind. Your mind, I think, is the most important ground you can take dominion over. If you don't take dominion over your thoughts, you will not win in any area of life and will not be pleasing to God. It all starts right here. And remember, Paul goes on in Romans 12, 2, the very next verse, saying this. He said, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The renew Paul's saying, take your mind, your thoughts, and harness them and get victory over that barrage of evil stuff that's coming against your mind. I've dealt with so many people down through the years, counseling them, trying to help them, telling them this, take, come on, take control, get a hold of it, renew your mind. And I've had them sit there all teary-eyed, whining, saying, oh, pastor, I've tried, but I can't. You know, my mind's running so fast that I just can't get a hold of it. And I want to just, I just want to say, bless your little heart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't read, you're, what you're doing is you're denying what God has said. Wow. You have authority over your mind. You know what the problem is? It's not easy. It's hard and takes a lot of time. That's all. So don't tell me you can't do it. It just takes time and it's hard. But it's the most important thing that you can do. So I'm going to tell you this. Listen to this. Your mind and your body. Take, if, if you don't take dominion over what's in this circle right here, then don't come to me and talk to me about how you're doing all kinds of spiritual warfare for the city out there or the school system or whatever. I don't even want to hear it if your life is a mess. Well, I'll close my message right there. That's it. I mean, I don't need to hear anything else. I mean, I've gotten tired. I'm, look, I preach. I, I've dealt for years 
with revival-loving people, Holy Spirit-loving people, and I'm telling you, that's been a big part of my life. But I'm going to tell you something. I get tired of this stuff of people supposedly doing all this warfare about, oh, we're going to do it, we're going to take it to the city and the nation, we're going to do this. And then you go into the privacy in their own home and their marriage is a mess. They don't take authority over their body. They're in insecurity and pride and junk. They're just a mess. And I think, come on, get your own life in order. But you, Because you cannot export what you have not imported into your own life. Hallelujah. Listen, you've got to do this. I love this story. Listen, do you remember Elijah? And Elijah, how Elijah is this miracle man. You know, he's got this mantle, baby. That's his anointing. And with that mantle, he raises a woman's son from the dead. You know, he prays in a three and a half year drought, prays back in the rain, kills 450 prophets of Baal. Dude, this man is God's man of faith and power for the hour. He's doing it, baby. And then in 1 Kings 19, all of a sudden we see Elijah falling apart. He breaks and he runs and we find him sitting in an, under a tree wanting God to kill him. I think, what? Dude, I don't, how do you reconcile this? And God sends angels to feed him supernatural food. He runs in the strength of that 40 days. And God ends up finding him in the mouth of a cave. And in that condition, you know what God said to him? I love this. And I'm paraphrasing here, but God says, Elijah, baby, you know that mantle you've been swirling around? Doing your spiritual warfare with like Holy Ghost Zorro? You're tearing up the devil, killing the prophets of Baal, praying in a drought. You know that. Here's what he tells him. He says, take that mantle and you wrap that thing around your face until your face, your own face, is literally wrapped in that mantle that you've been using to export that power to your generation. You get it? He was saying, you need to take that word of God and that presence of God that you've been supposedly going out there to change the world, and you need to let that begin to mess with your own soul and deal with all the insecurities and the doubts and all of the junk, the brokenness in your own soul. Let it wrap that thing around your own soul. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to move on, but listen, I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters. Look, I've pastored long enough to know human nature and know Christians. I, for years earlier, in my earlier years, I thought I pastored all these perfect people. And then all of a sudden, I dawned on me. I realized one day, these people aren't perfect. They're messed up. <laughs> They're a total wreck. And I am not joking. I said, they're messed up. But then it dawned on me one day. It's because also their pastor's messed up. We're all a mess. None of us have escaped the effects of the fall. And folks, when we come to Christ and we come into the church, we bring all this baggage into the church with us. We bring all these hurts, all this junk from the past, what's happened to us, been done to us, set over us, what things we've done, all the regrets we have. And by the time we get to church, as a Christian, we've got all this baggage. And now we learn to pray and to worship and do all kinds of ministry and service. But we fail to deal with all this junk that's on the inside of us that's still messing with us. And so we limp through lives, kind of like I'm physically limping today. We limp through life as wounded warriors trying to heal the world. But while we are, we're always doing damage because we're ministering out of the damage of our own soul. Hallelujah. Korahai. So I say this to you folks. Why don't you stop and do a reality check 
and say, listen, have I really dealt with the junk? We live through life, most of us, putting up with stuff we think can never be healed. Struggling with issues that we think we're always going to have to battle with. And folks, don't you understand what sanctification is all about? Sanctification is this big word that is a process that happens to us from the new birth to the grave that basically is about digging out all that mess with the Word of God, letting God deal with it, letting God flush it out until, watch this, until we become a person, listen to this, who doesn't just espouse some dominion message, but the essence of our life and the way we live begins to speak a dominion message. That God really does rule over everything because he's begun to rule over my anger. And he's begun to rule over my offenses. And uh, y'all listen to me. Y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about tonight. All right. So anyway, there you go. So we're ground. But now let me make this next point. When I first take care of this ground, now I'm ready to begin to look outwardly and say, what does God have for me out here? Because God has something for each of us and all of us. Because, again, everything is ground. So what that means is, now once I get outside of myself, it starts with my home. My home is ground. My marriage is ground. Of course, it doesn't mean you rule over your spouse. We know that. What it means is bring the rule of Christ over your marriage. My kids are ground. I bring the rule of Christ there. And then you extend out from there. My neighborhood is ground. The city of Waterloo is ground. You with me now? The schools are ground. Now, what does that mean? That means that God says, I give you dominion over all the ground. That doesn't mean we physically own it, right? It's almost spiritual dominion. But still, folks, that's the highest capital. That's the highest realm. Spirit, he says, that's your ground. Every Waterloo is ground. The school system is ground. So what that means is this. I am sick and tired of the world telling us Christians, just be nice little Christians and do what you want to do inside the four walls of your church. You just pray and shout and sing to the cows, come home, baby. You can hang from the chandeliers, do what you want. We don't care. Just don't bring your faith outside into the public square. Keep it inside the four walls of the church. Because you belong in there, we own this out here. And I'm telling you right now, if I read my Bible correctly, we don't just have dominion here, but that, that ground out there does not belong to the world. It belongs to us. Hallelujah. And so what that means is, what that means is, listen, that we must not back off in timidity and be intimidated and silent by this bombardment in our culture of unholiness and just junk, iniquity. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you one of the greatest messages, I think, for our hour that, that we need to hear now that really has not been as relevant before. We've not, it's not been as relevant as it right, is right now. And that is we need to hear this message that it's time for the church to find their voice and to stand up amidst the opposition, even if it incurs persecution or mocking or even penalties of some kind. Because we li have lived in a small window of history that is very different to what most of history has been. For most of history, people have suffered and been persecuted, and even died, been martyred for their faith. And we lived in this great American experiment where that's not been the case. But folks, things are dramatically changing. Yes. And you say, oh, well, you shouldn't say that. Hey, listen, Jesus talked about it. 
He said, be saved from this perverse generation. He said, you'll suffer persecution, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. What he's saying, he says, he has suited us out and equipped us as dominion creatures to be able to stand against the opposition. So what I am challenging people, Christians, to, to do today is begin to find your voice. It starts in your own circle of acquaintances. Don't just sit there and be silent when all this boisterous, arrogant, ungodliness is being espoused, where truths are being turned into a lie, and you sit there and don't say anything because you know that you're going to be mocked or persecuted. Do you need to hear that again? Yes, no, all right, we're going to go on. Listen, rise up. Because you have dominion, we have dominion over that out there. Now, let me hurry on. I just got a couple minutes. Let me wind this down. So we have all, our dominion is over all that ground. And then you go to verse 27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Now, here it is. Listen to this closely. I'm going to really quickly sum this up. For the first, first God speaks of our identity, dominion creatures. He gives us the sphere of our dominion, right? Now, for the first time, he's giving instructions to man about that. So what you see here in this next statement is God is laying out a strategy. So here's one thing, a little lesson you have to have about biblical interpretation. It's just a real simple thing, but when God says four things, he doesn't mean one thing. So, you know, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. The way many Christians read this, you know, unconsciously, is just, God's just, so God said, go out there, baby. You've got dominion, take it, and take the world. You know, it's kind of four things. He's saying one thing. He's not saying one thing. God doesn't repeat himself. So when God says four things, what he's doing here, he's laying out a four-point strategy. And I don't have time to cover it all. I just want to give you this. He's, what it, we have here is a progressive strategy for exercising our dominion. And it begins with be fruitful. And be fruitful is just another way of saying what he said to Adam and Eve about the garden when he said, tend and keep the garden. Cultivate and keep the garden. What that means is, listen to this, what God was saying is, here, I'm giving you the garden, you have dominion over it, you bring your rulership over this garden and bring it to flourishing with life and blessing. Okay? Here he's saying it this way, be fruitful. So he's first saying, be fruitful. Take your authority, dominion, and bring up this thing to its fullness in the garden. Then he says, multiply. Well, we're not going to deal with that, but that's the only one here that's literally dealing about having kids. So he's saying, have lots of kids. You understand that? Have lots of kids, all right? You're resisting that word right now. I see it. <laughs> and then he says this. Listen. And fill the earth. Now, when you see fill the earth as a totally different part of the strategy than be fruitful, then what you, you see something here. Here's what's happening. I got so much to say about this, but let me if, put your thing in caps on with it. Here's what God's saying. God placed man in the garden. There's all the earth. All this ground that's barren, dry, empty. And God takes one little patch of ground in the whole earth of all the ground. And he takes this one patch and brings it to flourishing with life and blessing. And that's where he puts man. And he says, be fruitful here. And then he says, and then after you do that, then I want you to go and fill the earth. So what he's saying here is, here's what happened. God made this one place where it was easy for man to grow and learn to co-labor with him in exercising his dominion or rulership. It's like discipleship. 
He's being trained in this place where the voice of God is clear and the presence of God is abundant. Are you with me now? It's easy for him to grow in his using of his equipment and his tools. And he's growing. God says, grow in your dominion. Be discipled here. And once you grow up here, then go out of here. Think of this. We often think of just the garden just being a closed place. You know, and a man was just supposed to stay there. He wasn't. You know that, that gate, there was a gate on that garden, and that gate was never closed until after man sins. Man was supposed to grow up in his dominion in the garden and go out of the garden and take new patches of ground and make happen out there what he learned God do in here. You get that? What is our lesson for today out of that? People will say, well, wait a minute, we don't have a garden anymore. Oh, I think we do. I think we do. You know what our garden is? Our garden is the church. Think of it. God raises up a place like this, and he brings all of us to be a part of a place like this. Watch this. Where it's already flourishing with life and blessing. The word of God is clear. The presence of God is abundant. People are being healed and set free. I mean, you're learning to pray. You're learning to love each other. You're learning to minister. All this is like, wow, isn't this great? This is your garden. This is your garden. Listen, you ready? But it's not your ground. Your ground is out there. Many people like to come into the church and make this not just their garden, but their ground. This is where I live spiritually. This is where I minister. This is where I serve. This is where it's all happening. No, this is not where you camp out. This is a launching pad to you go so you can go and take the ground God has called you to take. Amen? Let me just listen to this. I think one of the important lessons that we can learn is that when God calls you to a church, let me say it this way. Many people have previous church experiences when they come into a place like this where they have wrong paradigms about what church is. They've grown up in some place where there's this expectation, you know, from the people in the church for the pastor to be kind of like this. Only old people will know this, but the Elmer Gantry. How many of y'all remember Elmer Gantry? Dude, two people, give me a break. Come on. I'm not that old. Anyway, I mean, he was kind of like this milk toast. Back, it was old westerns, you know. And, you know, come into town and, you, oh, yes, yeah, you know, we just care for you and love. You just, huh? Yeah, anyway, Donna said it was in black and white, so that's how old it was. Yeah. And he so, said, you know, come around. And people come to church like this with this view. The, the whole, the highest call of the pastor is to just take care of me and to nurse me, you know, and to, you know, feed me the bottle and change my diapers. And, and then when we have that mentality, what happens if something happens, he doesn't do that, then we get bent out of shape and we say, I'm out of here, baby. You know, he, did you know what happened Sunday at church? What? Well, after church, I was there and when I was walking out, the pastor didn't even look at me. Didn't look at me. Dude, can you believe that? <laughs> Folks, I can tell you if he didn't look at you. He didn't see you. <laughs> it wasn't he was ignoring you. He's just oblivious. <laughs> he's just being a man. That's all. He's just. <laughs> all right, anyway. <laughs> I've said, you probably heard me say this before, but. Through all the New Testament, I found only one scripture where it tells us what the description of pastors is. It says it's for the, there for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the church to do the ministry. There's no comma between those two. They're not for the, pastors don't equip the church and do the ministry. Yes, as a Christian, they also do ministry. But that's not their pastoral role. They're equipping you to do the ministry. And you have to buy into the fact that when you come to church like this, that you are here to be trained, you are here to be raised up and empowered to do what God's called you to do, find out what God's called you to do. You're not here.
for the pastor to make your com you comfortable. In fact, it's the opposite. You're here for him to make you uncomfortable. And you want to know why? It's so that you can finally find out that what your flesh has been telling you is the life you want is not the life you want at all. The only way you'll be truly happy is to be, have your flesh so challenged and made uncomfortable that you find out what God has called you to do and you rise up to pursue that. Can somebody give me a big shout, huh? Come on, give him praise in this place. Everybody stay to your feet. Well, what do you think? You all got anything out of that today? Well, as you can imagine, that's just the tip of the iceberg of that one. And um, hallelujah. Here's what I'm going to do. My time's up today. I'm going to turn back to the pastor, but I just want to just pray with you before we do. And uh, here's what I'm going to do. Listen to me very carefully. I know that all of you here, you come from different walks of life. You're in different places in your spiritual journey. Maybe some of you are just starting out or haven't even started out yet. Maybe you're headed toward God. But listen to this. I know something about us as human beings. Every one of us have this God-shaped wholeness. And, and what that means is not just for fellowship with God, but to be used of God, to find our purpose, to find the meaning that God has for our life. And that's what I want to pray for you today. Are you ready, Father? I just pray for my brothers and sisters now. Father God, I just pray that you somehow bring an awakening in everybody's life in this place to, to pull us out of our doldrums, to open our blinded eyes, God, that we can see clearly, that we don't see through the eyes of the flesh, but God, awaken us, awaken a spiritual hunger in us, God. God, to pull away from the caterings of the flesh and the world. And Father God, to pursue you and your life that you have for us in holiness and righteousness and purpose. We love you, Father. Bless you, and we thank you for these precious people. In Jesus Christ, amen. 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 I love you. God bless you.